Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition, to win at work, drive your career forwards, and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. Now, here's a bit of a treat for, you, for my regular listeners and for any new ones that have joined us today. So I've actually got Mark Gandhi from the CFO Bookshelf. So he is a fellow podcast host. So it's going to be really interesting between the two of us to figure out who is actually asking the questions. We're not quite sure, but we're going to make it up as we go along. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know, um, CFO Bookshelf is, you know, it's, it's a great podcast talking all about reading and books that finance leaders and has even been referred to as the Google Talks for finance and business leaders. So with that in mind, I'd like to say thank you so much to Mark for joining us. It's fabulous to have you on the show. Hannah, fun. Thank you very much. I've watched some of your shows, a couple of recent ones. So I know this is going to be an enjoyable experience. No, Axel. Well, at least I hope so. You might be able to tell me about whether it was at the end of this conversation. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell me about where, where you come from and what, what made you start the podcast? Uh, hopefully, I'm allowed to give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Uh, part two of my origin story, I'm going to leave off part one, but my background will quickly uh, I'm old enough that they used to be called the big eight firm, uh, the big eight in accounting. So work for KPMG in St. Louis. I spent time at another top 10 firm back then. It was McLattery in Poland. And then after that, uh, worked in a number of corporate finance uh, positions, VP of finance, corporate controller, a couple of CFO gigs. And then I've been a part-time CFO for the last, uh, about last 19, 20 years. So I'm one of the pioneers in this space, which is kind of cool. Your second question, uh, starting the podcast, that's nuance because I think in 2018, I created the CFO Bookshelf blog. And it was, I thought, you know, I read a lot. I'm being selfish. I should write about what I'm reading. Well, Hannah, I learned something very quickly. I'm pretty lazy. I mean, that's a lot. And think about it. If you read, say, like, Educated, uh, or if you read American Icon, a couple of favorite books in the last few years, if you're going to write a two, 3,000-word article, blog post, again, that's a lot of work. So my writing was not that the volume wasn't there. So I started doing a, a weekly newsletter I did over 120 of those, I thought, and it was a lot of work. And then at some point around COVID time period, uh, my work did not scale back, but I thought, well, let's, let's maybe do the podcast. I had another CFO that I really like and admire. Uh, we did a few shows together, and then it just continued. So it's supposed to be a, a labor of love, but now it's becoming almost a job. I mean, sometimes we'll have up to... 16 interviews uh, in inventory in the hopper. 
I mean, it's becoming a big deal. I, I did not want it to start growing so fast. I mean, we're not like famous. Uh, we're, we're still kind of uh, maybe a, a best kept secret in some circles of our space. But I will say that I've been very pleasantly surprised and pleased. But that's kind of the 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 the, the short Reader's Digest version of how the show got started a couple of years ago. That's fabulous. And I think sometimes the best best things come out naturally, don't they? They're not sort of designed to to appear. They just sort of happen. You kind of you get surprised by the success that it achieves and you turn around and go, oh, I'm not quite sure how we got here, but I'm quite glad to be here. It's always a great place to be. I th- and you you know this yourself. It, it's I don't golf a lot. In fact, I, in college, I worked at a country club and, and could play anytime I wanted to. And I was terrible. Uh, for people who play golf, I'm the guy who gets five mulligans uh, per hole. But when you have that great stroke, it just makes you want to come back. Well, when a guest wants to stay on and talk after you hit quit recording and they're, they're interested, they're interested because you were interested and they say how pleasant of an experience it was, it makes you want to keep doing more. So I would say those first 20 interviews was a validating experience. If these guests had a, you know, been indifferent, maybe we wouldn't be up to about 120 episodes. So I give all the credit to the authors who keep saying nice things uh, after. I, I got a call two Saturday mornings ago. Again, Saturday morning, a guest called me and said, Mark, I love the show. And it's like, th- that meant a lot to me. So again, you can relate to this. It's when the guests are very complimentary and encouraging. It just makes you want to keep going back and keep trying to make it better and better. It is genuinely a, a really enjoyable experience doing a podcast. I think the, the opportunity you also get, for me, it's the opportunity to speak to people that I like and admire and want to speak to. I'm, I, I do use it as a bit of a guilty pleasure. People that I find interesting, I say, oh, you know, come on the podcast, let's have a chat. So um, for me, it's a great excuse to, to meet some fabulous people, to learn something. That's always important. So yeah, I know I completely echo it. So and 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 obviously reading has always been um, I'm thinking a, a bit of a passion of yours. When did you start? Is there a point in time where you go, that's that's where my love of reading started from? We were talking in our so-called green room before we hit record. I get the idea that you probably have been a reader all of your life. Uh, I I have a theory. I have a theory. Accountants especially were so busy. I mean, I mean, good grief, studying for the exam, whether you're studying for the CMA or the CPA exam or the equivalent uh, in the UK, we just don't have time to read. And then you get your first job, uh, especially for those of us who work in public accounting. I mean, you're working. I've worked a lot of hours early on, and then I was studying for the exam in my spare time. So I read what I would call in the fringes of my time, which was not a lot. Uh, but what happened, there's a guy at Marwick. he said, Mark, you had to read this book. And it was Barbarians at the Gate. And I remember loving that book, but I didn't have time to read a lot. It wasn't until I went into private industry 
I started being immersed into projects where I felt like an idiot. And I would usually be left on my own because my teammates or peers would be working on other projects. So I found books kind of a, a well to learn. I was sold my first manufacturing company pretty much on my own to two different buyers. It was complicated. And thankfully, one of the one of the people who was a buyer said, Mark, read the book, The Goal. Because I told him I knew nothing about manufacturing. How do I start thinking the way you think? And so he gave me the book, The Goal. So as I worked on different projects, books would somehow find me. So it wasn't until probably 2005, 2006, I really started reading a lot more. Reading 10 books a year became 40 books a year. 40 books a year became 60 books a year. And it just started to become really a, a sports term, muscle memory. I, I can't help it. It's, it's, it's a natural instinct uh, to want to read. So I'm not the guy who read a lot as a youngster, even in high school, I read maybe one or two books uh, per year. And they're usually sports books because uh, I love sports as a, as a youngster. I bet, your, I bet yours is different. Mine's the complete opposite. So my mom still talks about the fact that when I was three, I took the book off of her and told her I was reading to her instead, right? I was an I was a bookworm or you know literally from very very young um and I even won prizes for being a bookworm right there was once I remember a challenge where I there was a, like you know something we supposed to do over like 6 months right to read this many books I think I finished it in about a week but it was great because I got to choose all the books for the library so it was fabulous so I got to work my way through so I was a very happy bunny so, um, yeah, so I've always been a massive reader. I think a bit like yourself, you know, struggling to balance um, life and work. So um, I, you know, I do, I must admit, I'm, a, I'm now becoming more into audiobooks that I can listen to as well when I'm, I'm moving. I love listening. I like absorbing information and I kind of, I mix um, a, what I call relaxation reading with sort of learning reading. So, yeah, and I'll go, I'll quite happily go through a couple of books a week. So, and I love that. All, um, all, yeah, quite, quite scary. <laughs> all my kids, all three of them who are grown adults, they were like you, read a lot. One of them especially, she would describe herself as a bookworm. I just think that's neat. Um, it's something I love doing. And, and so we didn't push it, just encourage it. So I, I think what you're sharing is just, I, I think it's neat. And I can tell you're a very well-rounded person. And I don't think, I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence uh, being well-rounded in, in all the books you read at a very, very young age. I have a feeling you had a very active mind, right? Well, I think I think anyone that has a passion for learning, like I, the way I consume information is through reading or listening, but every, I think everyone learns in different ways. Some people, and it's just my my way of choice. And I think anyone that reads, um, especially a lot of different books, you just get perspective. I I, I almost equate it to traveling the world. You can tr you can literally travel this world and other worlds if you depending on what you're into reading, um, and it gives you a whole different perspective on life. And that's so important. That's why I love shows like yours that bring new thoughts and new ideas into people's lives because it's so important, right? That the world is both a very big and a very small place as well. So you know why wouldn't you? And again, great point. Great point. 
So, so tell me a little bit about sort of the your favourite genre of books. Is there one particular one that is it all business books? Do you have uh, like a particular um, genre that you like to read outside of work? I, great question, and I'm not pausing. I'm trying, how do I, I? Can I preface my answer with an opinion or, or a thought? I I view reading as either. With reading, we we are either entertained, or we can be inspired, or we can be instructed. Uh, so, for example, when I was my first job in St. Louis working for KPMG, I needed to to buy a new car. I was driving this. It was back then they were called K cars, and it didn't have air conditioning. It was a Plymouth Horizon. It it was a good engine. It was so embarrassing to drive my uh, my my mates, my my team members to lunch because part of the upholstery was coming off. Again, is not air conditioned. You don't drive an unair conditioned vehicles in St. Louis in the middle of summer. It's it's ninety plus degrees, high humidity. So I had to get a new car. Ended up getting a Pontiac Grand Am because one of my in charges had one. But I I bought a book called how to buy a car and it worked it, it 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 helped me to negotiate properly and i call that a book on instruction so entertain inspire instruct so when you ask me my favorite genre when you can get a book that does all three of those at the same time entertain uh, inspire instruct you've got a special book and i think i just accidentally found that narrative nonfiction is my favorite. Uh, narrative nonfiction is very broad. It's going to be memoirs. It's going to be autobiographies, biographies, and then what I call creative nonfiction. So that'd be like the the bad bloods. Uh, Tara Westover's Educated, we mentioned a few minutes ago. So narrative nonfiction is my favorite genre. Um, I'll, I had to say this. I hope, I hope this is not edited out, but a lot of what I call finance-centric books are boring. I think you learn that on the job and you learn it from mentors or through workshops. So that's why I like narrative nonfiction as my favorite. I do like fiction. I know you may ask that later, but I don't have time. But I do like fiction. I, I especially like the classics. Uh, I'm trying to get better, have more volume of the classics. Um, Crime and Punishment. It's probably one of my all-time favorite books. Uncle Tom's Cabin is one of the most, to me, one of the greatest uh, pieces of literature. I love Dickens uh, a lot. So again, there's certain areas of fiction I really, really like too. Hey, that that's a great choice, and um, I I would second you on Bad Blood. Right, that was one of my most. I found that fact that was one of my um, interesting reads of the last twelve months. So. I know this is your show. May I be selfish? <laughs> Can I ask you what your <laughs> uh, favorite genre is? I, I've been anxious to hear this, and, and I hope I'm not doing anything inappropriate. I know you're supposed to ask questions, but may I please hear from you? <laughs> oh, of course. Like we, we said this at the beginning, we're not actually sure. So for all of our listeners, right, we apologize in advance. We don't actually know who's asking the questions. We just know roughly what we're talking about. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I I find it really hard to choose, but generally I like um, 
psychology focused business books is my my personal genre because I think understanding what make how people's brains work what makes them tick um, I think is not just a finance I don't think it's like we don't talk about in finance right we are very numbers driven we're all about the data and actually especially because I got I I'm obviously involved in a lot of transformation projects there's three for me there's three components right there's people processes and technology and everyone talks about the tech mostly about the tech which I find fascinating a little bit about process and very little about people and so actually it was one of the inspirations that I had for this show was actually to start conversations that bring the people side of transformation that people don't always talk about to life. And I think for me, a lot of my learnings that as a consultant have come from like reading something um, about psychology. And then it's amazing when you start to apply that into your transformation work, what happens? So for me, that's definitely my genre. Does that mean you're a big Dan Pink fan? <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I have to say he's on my <laughs> on my list. So the um, drive, 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 and, I think is drive his, and a holy mind are just outstanding. I think everyone in our space yeah. should read. Yeah, drive is incredible. Uh, I'm so thankful. Yeah, and the, the concept yes. of creativity in that I found fascinating. Right, and I think that's something that again, people in finance don't aren't willing to embrace their creative side because creative and accounting traditionally haven't been <laughs> well associated, let's be honest. Um, but that for me is really important. And then, yeah, on the non, on the, the fiction side, um, I have loads, like I, I, I'm going to be honest and say, I have some very bad taste in books. I have no palate when it comes to book, <laughs> fiction books. So I read a lot of chiclets and all that kind of stuff, but I'm massive of fantasy and like space See, operas and all that kind of stuff. I love all that kind of um, piece. See, I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back. I'm going to nitpick on your own show. You can't, there is no bad <laughs> book because uh, we're going to be interviewing her name is Christine Sieper. She wrote a, a tremendous article for HBR on the benefits of reading fiction. And the fact, I don't care what you're reading, what you're reading is causing you to think in ways you may never, ever think. It's, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand the science and maybe I don't want to, but you can't, say negative things about the books you're reading because it, it's bring, first of all, it's bringing entertainment value, but there's some other intangibles that I don't get that are happening as you read those books. So I'm not going to let you downplay any of the, the types of titles that you're mentioning. Is that okay to say that to you? Hey, look, the, <laughs> of course it is and uh, yeah but it's, it's kind of like the equivalent of you know junk food versus <laughs> high cuisine right it's all feeding your nutrients but the quality and what you're gaining from it is slightly different right but you know i think it's like anything you know a mcdonald's every now and then right. there's nobody in right. car watching. agree <laughs> Absolutely. So, 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 okay. So we talked a bit, uh, quite a bit about um, why we are both passionate about reading completely different stories as well, which is fascinating. But um, from your perspective, so if you mentioned your favorite genre, are there any, have you got any like top reads that you can share with us that you think every finance person should listen to, should read? So I think when you're stalling, that means you're going to have the perfect answer maybe three days from now, 
that's almost like asking which of my kids do I like the most? Can I just, I think that's a, that's a great question. It's a hard question to answer. I'm just going to go back to the beginning, uh, some of my favorite titles. And you may think, how, how do, what do these have to do with finance? But uh, I recently, recently did a, a presentation uh, for a local CPA society here in the States. And one of the books I mentioned was Barbarians at the Gate. I just mentioned that. And if you work in the M&A space, there is a great, great takeaway on what is value in a business. And it causes a person to ask the difference between uh, value and price when buying a business. It is a great, great read. I read Relevance Lost early in my career. One of my bosses said, read this book. Uh, it is one of the best books. It's accounting-centric. Highly, highly recommended. I've already mentioned The Goal. Uh, that's a book that will stand the test of time. That book applies not just for people in manufacturing, but professional services. Um, one book that is it's a pretty new book. It came out in 2010, 2011. I, I've been very blessed to get to interview the author. It's called Reversing the Slide uh, by Jim Shine. I would say any person who wants to be a CFO, VP of finance, you've got to read the first four to five chapters of Jim's book. It's called Reversing the Slide. A part of our tagline is lifelong learning for business leaders. I think one of the best uh, leadership books I've ever read is endurance and read that book at a time in my professional career where I was very discouraged. I was working for a company that did not have good leadership. We were a ship without a rudder. Um, I loved the company. I loved the people I served in it, but we just didn't have good leadership. And I read that book and it, 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 it was a huge uh, pick me up. It's one of the best leadership books I've ever read. It's narrative nonfiction, uh, the great game of business. I mean, just the title itself is like, you know, that would be an interesting title for people in our space. A fun read. Um, one of the first uh, memoirs or autobiographies I read, uh, her name is Sandra Kurtzig. Her book is called CEO, The Making of a $400 million Company. That book used to be used in, I believe, case studies uh, at Harvard, at the Harvard Business School and the MBA program. It is still one of my favorite CEO books ever uh, written. I love The Effective Executive. Uh, a recent book that's been written, I think 2016, 2017, You Love Psychology. Uh, there is some, in a very indirect way, psychology in it. It's called uh, Open by Andre Agassi. Now, he had a great ghostwriter, but I've read that book three times. It's one of the favorite memoirs. And you could say, well, it's sports. Well, it's his story is the most improbable. If you if you like, um, uh, I can't remember his name. He he wrote the book. Uh, so be so good. Uh, can't uh, I can't remember the the name. I'll remember it after. But his book open is just outstanding. Uh, it's part leadership coaching. I say anyone in a leadership position should read that book. So those are some of my uh, favorites that, off the top of my head. That would be part of my Hall of Fame of books, some of those titles I mentioned. I'm sorry if I was long-winded. 
No, absolutely. We've got plenty of time, Mark, right? So you be as long-winded as you like, right? Because this is great context. And I think um, I always, I think one of the most important things when we're asking for recommendations is understanding why and why you think that book's so good. Because there's some books, isn't there, that you put forward and you go, right, this is the reason you need to read it. Other things are just really great reads. And, you know, there's lots of little things, um, but it's great to hear the background. So you talked a lot about your all-time favorites. What about, is there any sort of, you know, maybe if somebody's going on holiday, right, there's loads of CFOs listening to this podcast, packing their case and thinking, what do I download onto Kindle? If you had to recommend a couple of books for them to take on holiday and read on the beach, what would you recommend? So I was prepared for that question, just for fairness. And one of the questions I have is, I guess it depends on what kind of a holiday it is. Do, do you want some light do you want light reading or do you want like heavy, heavy, heavy uh, reading? I actually have heard people talk about when I'll make a recommendation, they'll say, yeah, I'm going to read this book. And I'm thinking, why would you want to read, say, like American Icon on your vacation? That's kind of a, I mean, you have to, you're going to, I mean, you're going to lose some brain calories because of that. I mean, your brain's going to be stretched as you, so my question is, are we talking light reads or a little bit meatier reads? Well, you, you know me okay. by now, right? You see, you know I'm going to ask for both, right? So let's start with the, the we want some educational, great, heavy, sort of meaty books. Well, Where would you, what are your recommendations for, for that, for those kind of readers? I'm still going to maybe pull back a little bit uh, on, on those. So I have a few that I highlighted. I just, I've had this book in my, my both Audible library and my Kindle library for, for several years. I finally got around to reading it last year, uh, The Wisdom of Finance. It is a quick read. Uh, the author is, uh, he teaches at Harvard. Uh, there are a couple of YouTube videos of him telling what led him to write that book. It's called The Wisdom of Finance. He's basically saying there's a lot to be gained reading literature. And he has literature examples. And I've actually have read three or four of the books he's recommended or uh, talks about in that book. But The Wisdom of Finance is a fun read. I think I don't like to use the word you should or the term you should to any person, but for CFOs, controllers, uh, directors of, of FP&A or anyone at P&A, read that book, The Wisdom of Finance. Um, the Secret Life of Groceries. I stumbled upon that book last year. And the reason I like that book is we take going to the grocery store for granted, don't we? So what the author does is he brings us the humanity behind the people behind food that we buy. Uh, there's a chapter on truck driving. It will just break your heart. It's sad. Uh, he spent some time in a tractor trailer rig. I think her name is Tammy. And Tammy is very open about what it's like to be a female in that industry. And I'm just, my heart is heavy. We got, there's a chapter on Trader Joe's which was phenomenal. I think Trader Joe's in the U.S. I can't say enough about it. 
I don't want to give anything away, but that is a, a, a very fascinating uh, read. If narrative nonfiction, I think, is a little bit easier to read on the beach or in a cabin, but I would say Boys in the Boat is one of the most inspiring books I've ever read. Uh, I work with a lot of CEOs, and there's just something about that imagery of eight young boys, eight young men. They're in a boat. They have to row at the right cadence, at the right speed. You got this, this, this. I think it's called a coxswain or cox. I don't know if I'm probably not saying that correctly. He's in the front of the boat telling him what to do, what not to do. You got a coach on, on shore who's assembled uh, these eight people. So it is the improbable story pre-depression of kids up in the state of Washington uh, in the U.S. They end up making their way to what I call the, the Hitler or the Jesse Owens Olympics and they win the gold medal, and it shouldn't have happened. You get to the last chapter, you're thinking, this ain't going to happen. Sorry for my language. It's, they can't win. There, uh, a certain person was cheating. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Americans were not supposed to win. They did. It is such an inspiring, but that is a great, great read. If you like, um, again, if you like page turners, I would say American Kingpin is, is a great book. Uh, I wasn't aware of the story until I just stumbled upon it in my uh, one of the suggested reads in Audible. Right, that listened to it actually five six years ago. Uh, I just interviewed the author of The Warehouse. So The Warehouse, think Amazon, thirty years in the future, and and it is dystopian, uh, a little bit dystopian in nature. And so you got a couple people who get a job at the warehouse. Um, I can't remember the the name of the the company. Uh, I think it's called Cloud. Uh, Cloud is the name of the the business. And so these two people who end up coming uh, to work at Cloud, they have different agendas, but they end up working together. And it is an interesting read. I'll leave it at that. And I'll throw one more in there. First real book I ever listened to uh, with Audible is Ghosts in the Wires. And it's it's uh, Kevin Mitnick, I think, is the author. And I'm hoping we can get him on the show maybe in 2023. We just haven't had time. But he was at one time one of the most wanted uh, criminals by the FBI. So he, he was someone who could hack into telephone systems, computer systems, high levels. Now, he, he was a good... He was a good crook. Uh, he was a good. He was a good bad crook. He never stole money. He just liked the thrill of being able to break in. And but he never sold credit card numbers. He just what liked the thrill. But he ended up serving time in prison. Now he's out, and he he uh, helps with uh, cybersecurity issues uh, today. But that's that book is called Ghost in the Wires. I have a few more, but I'll stop there. How's that? That's a great, I'm, I am literally going to listen back to this podcast and start making some notes because they, they sound brilliant books. And I like how you offering books that obviously have a story and a real piece, but something to learn from it as well. And I, that's, that's always the, the hard compromise, isn't it? And I, I get that's why you like narrative. Um, what is it? Narrative nonfiction is the official genre I do. title. I love yes. that. Yes. I've heard, I've heard the term. 
I've heard the term, Hannah, narrative nonfiction, and I've heard the term creative uh, nonfiction. And that may have been the first term ever used for that genre. But, and it's relatively new. I'd say, I, uh, I think Friday Night Lights is a universal story. It's, it's had, uh, I think it sold over 2 million copies, which is big in the book world. Um, I've heard some people, and I don't, I don't agree with the statement, but I've heard some people say that uh, Buzz B- Bissinger uh, put narrative nonfiction on the map. And again, he did not create it, but I would say after Friday Night Lights, you started seeing narrative nonfiction start to skyrocket a lot more. So creative nonfiction, I think, may be one of the first terms ever used for that type of writing. Yeah, it doesn't it? Yeah, I like that term. That um, makes it more, right. more interesting. But like you say, it balances off the fact that it is not fiction because that's always you know. I must. I don't know about you, but sometimes you read fiction books that, and you're like, actually, you're desperate to know if they were actually true. I always there's something very fascinating about true think fiction stories that are based on true stories. I think, I, and I would even say there's there's another reason I like about narrative nonfiction, and this is purely opinion. Um, and and I, w- I would welcome anyone to debate me with this. I would probably lose the debate, but I'm a, I think every financial analyst, a lot of us CFOs, a lot of us controllers, we have this, we, we have this DNA in us where we're just questioning everything. You know, why? How did that happen? You know, we think forward, we think backwards, we think diagonally. Well, I personally think that to get better at our analytical DNA that we have to augment it, I wish there was a class for financial people, a journalism class. I would say every financial person should take a journalism class because who's writing a lot of this narrative nonfiction? It's journalists. In my opinion, journalists are some of the best analysts. They have the same struggles we have. We have to take data and turn it into information and turn that information to something that makes sense, whether it's to a banker, whether it's to an investors, uh, to our senior leadership teams, uh, hey, to customers, uh, to staff members, if we have open book, we have to take data and turn it into a story. And journalists are brilliant at this. What we don't realize in narrative nonfiction, you know this, is they may start out with a thousand pages and the publisher says, get it down to 200 pages, 250. And they have the same problem we do. They have to take all this data, turn it into a story. They have to come up with a good structure to where people want to turn the page. And that's the other reason I like, because I'm, I'm asking myself, how did, they, how did they research that? What questions did they, or was it accidental? Um, I find that part of narrative nonfiction fascinating. I'm trying to think what was going on as they were researching before they even started writing, before they started typing. Yeah. And and there is there's also a piece about data validation, isn't there? Because journalists need to be, especially journalists, right? Very different from fiction writers. They need that's, to validate what that's a great point. They're thinking. So, you know, I could I think that that analogy between a finance people, particularly business partners being 
Um, journalist is a great one. And I and there is something in the art of storytelling. So one of my favorite podcasts I did was with a chap that talked about data stories and how you build a story around a point or a data. And I was just like, how is this not mainstream in business partnering in particular? Like, how is this not a, a standard module that you go through? Because, you know, I don't know, you know, why some of the I find that some of the finance people I've met have got the driest sense of humor that I've ever met. But when, you know, that doesn't always come across in in the conversations that they have within a business. And I, th- I think that's such a shame. Um, and I think there's a real art to putting together, like you say, a narrative and a story and even an arc and designing the the flow of a conversation and he and if anyone that's yeah. listening and that hasn't had a chance to someone go yeah. back because he's got a great structure by which you can put together and present a, a data story and like you said you know i think this is something that's really you know really important for finance people to think about right. you know it's Good not point. about the numbers Good it's point. actually the story you tell with the numbers that's important so um we've talked um obviously a lot there about um you know different books um particularly business focused books just, are there any others that you want to sneak in there as a last final few or shall i you know because i'm i'm reckoning your list of books that you would recommend is absolutely massive i just realized something i i got carried away because you've been asking the question but wait a minute can we back up the truck a little bit <laughs> uh what are some of the books that you think would be good summer reading before the summer ends. Am I, again, I apologize. This is your show, I, but I want to take some notes See, here as well. Yeah. Hey, I take it as a compliment, right? If you're so wrapped up in answering questions, I'm obviously asking good ones, right? So I take it as an absolute compliment. Um, so I'm going to share it. So there's a couple of books, and I think anyone that hasn't read Simon Sinek Why should definitely pick that up. So I'm not, for those that are listening, you'll probably know Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek Excellent. is the chap that did the millennials um, video about the psychology of millennials. So as somebody that's on the borderline, as a borderline millennial, I, I found that really um, very true and very validated. Um, so I think that's a great concept. And actually the way he thinks about the why behind what we do is really, I find really interesting. And no matter what walk of life you're in, whether in finance or marketing, I think why is a brilliant, uh, brilliant read for um, for anyone? Um, I think Atomic Habits. I'm not sure if you've read that one. So that's a personal favorite. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember that. I and this is where I know the name, but I don't know the author. But it's one of those books I read this years ago, and it still stuck with me about how you can build habits and how you can, you know, some cheats to actually creating habits. So can you stack them um, and, you know, connect the dots? And so I won't steal the thunder, listen to that book. And and that was, uh, or read it, of course. Um, you know, some of these are interchangeable. Um, Psychology-wise, um, I love A Drive We've Talked About. It's a brilliant book. And Nudge is a great one. I'm not sure if you've read that one. Um, but I'm just, yeah. And and you you'll start to walk around the supermarket. We're talking about grocery stores earlier, but you'll start to go, I know exactly what they're doing there. So that I found really interesting. Um, And understanding how... Does that mean you like the book Influence as well, if you like psychology? 
I liked the understanding what people would are doing to influence me, right? So again, um, it's like anything. Any, I think mm-hmm. the more you learn about how the brain works and what you don't know about your own brain, self, you know, self awareness, emotional intelligence for me just makes us all stronger individuals. Um, and so that's why I study a lot of psychology because actually, to be very honest, it makes me think about how I react. And sometimes you go, yeah, that's me. And you, you sit there and you go, yeah, I do that. <laughs> and you, you know, hopefully you change, hopefully you recognize it and move it forwards. Um, and then I would say another short read, actually, one um, I would definitely recommend is One Minute Manager. Do you know that one? You know, that is, I'm going to say that is underrated today. I know when it came out, it sold mm. a ton of copies. And I thought, is this, I think when I first read it, I thought, is this going to be a cheesy little book? And it's not. It is a great the book, isn't it? The flow is wonderful. Uh, I, I just picked it up. I think I think it was like last year I read it again. I thought, this is good reading. I mean, you take any young CEO, uh, I know our audience is probably going to be more financial people, but any young leader, it's, it's, it's good stuff. I, I hope no one ever... Uh, I hope no one has the attitude I thought maybe a few years ago when I first thought it, thinking it might be cheesy. It's not. It's it's it's. And it's I, I find it quite book. an entertaining read when I first picked it up as well, and that's what I liked about it. So if you're recommending maybe to um, a new leader or somebody in your team that wants to grow into a role, for me that's a great first start, especially if they're not a big reader because it's entertaining enough but also educational enough that it gets them engaged because it's always a hard balance, especially with with teams is that, you know, they don't, they're not always great readers. They're not always love reading. Um, so you get people on each end of the spectrum. And for me, that was a really good book to recommend to um, some people. Um, and then I think, oh, there's so many, this is, I'm a bit like you, I've got so many. I think one that really fascinated me was me. Have you read um, Noise by Daniel Kahneman? Um, the, the concept of how we, how we make decisions, right? And the variability in decisions, I think is really applicable to finance in particular. Um, so that is on my my list of recommendations for a lot of people actually um, at the moment. So understanding how far as individuals we deviate from the, 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 like the norm is fascinating. The fact that our decisions and why, how we make decisions are affected by the weather. You know, the stat about um, how college decisions and applications, whether you might get a, um, an application is dependent on what, what the weather was like outside on the day that you went for your interview is just really interesting. And it, it makes me think, again, about how I'm making decisions, but also for a finance person who is make, you know is reviewing people's recommendations, is that it, it's just something to maybe think about. The author... It, it came to my mind, uh, the author I was thinking about, and I, I bet he's on your list, is Cal Newport. So one of his, probably one of his first biggest book is uh, Deep Work. But the title that I was trying to remember is, I'm going to need to stall here just a little bit because I'm now on an Amazon page. But again, Deep Work. And I think the other title is So Good They Can't Ignore, So Good They Can't Ignore You. That is an outstanding read, and I think it fits with some of the the psychology like books that you read. 
you, it's his book is not about psychology, but there's they it deals with the human mind. And if you have not read any of Cal's work, I would highly recommend uh, his work. So good they can't ignore you. It was so good. I, I was taking one of my kids to a camp up in Minnesota a few years ago, and I had a seven-hour drive, and I was able to read it, uh, listen to it just on my way back. It was so good. I ended up listening to it twice, two more times, because the content was so good. He's done a talks with Google. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of views on it, about 40,000, 50,000. And if it's easier to watch that, again, outstanding. And I have a feeling, Hannah, based on, I've been writing notes of your titles. He'd be right. Yeah, I knew, I, I, I knew about Deep Work. I hadn't heard about that other one. So I am, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick that one up as well. So that sounds fabulous. So good. You can't ignore. There you go. That's definitely one on my list. Um, and, and one actually that I was recommended by another transformation consultant. Um, so Michael, if you're listening, you know, this one came from you, but, um, is all change the project leader's secret handbook. So if anyone's going through transformation, that's a really interesting one. It was really hard to find. I had to get, you know, I actually had to order a physical copy of it. Um, but what it, I found it on Amazon in the end, but yeah, it was, um, that was interesting. It's called all change and it, and it flips. So you read it from one side and then you read it upside down from the other way. So, um, and that was a recommendation from a, um, another transformation consultant. So who did, Hannah, who did you say the author was? Oh, right. Bear with me. I knew you were going to ask me that question. I'm going to also stall and find it. But um, it is. Sorry uh, about that. That, that one I've written hey. down. I want to check that one out uh, for certain. Um, Eddie Oben. Okay. So, and I really like that. I found it quite practical. Um, and then and the last, probably not at least one, another one I was recommending was The Living Leader um, by, yeah, it was recommended by um, somebody that I, uh, I was talking to at conference and I've really enjoyed that as well. So that for me was a really practical guide to leadership. Um, and that was good as well. So, yeah. So there's um, there's mine. But I'm a bit like you, like actually choosing which books to recommend is so hard. You know, there's so many good ones, but, you know, there there are, there's a few newbies in there and there's a few of my old favorites that I've read a few times over. So I was going to say, I get nervous recommending books. I'm very careful. Again, I'm a consultant who works. My customer are CEOs. They are growing their businesses. And I am even reluctant to say, you ought to read this. They may say, what have you listened to or read recently that you like? And then I'll answer their question. And then they'll end up buying or either reading it or listening to it. But I don't know if you feel this way. I'm always reluctant because what if I recommend something in it? It's a bomb. Uh, to them. Maybe it resonated to you and I, but they didn't get anything out of it. So I, I'm I'm cautious in how I recommend or suggest books to other that's, people. That's actually a really good point because I think the challenge is, is that I read a lot, right? So reading a book is not a big deal to me personally. Yeah. And I don't mind if I get through something that's, you know, all right, but it's actually got some really interesting content. I don't mind that. Whereas because when you read a lot you know, it's one book isn't a big deal, one bad book, but you're 100% right. If you're not a big reader, you've got limited time. If it's a bad book or you can't get into it, 
then that that can be a real disappointment to somebody. So uh, yeah, I know you know I am. I have both given good recommendations, and I've also had somebody come back and go, mm, "Not so sure that's for me." So I think it's it's such a personal thing. Reading like picking a car, right? There's lots to choose from. There's some great ones, but it's so personal. It is so personal. I recommended, or I threw out the title, Rob Hart's book, The Warehouse. And there may be some people who just don't like that book. The reason maybe I liked it is because I don't read a lot of fiction. So anytime I read fiction, it's going to be a treat. So, and it, I, I'm, Rob has been on the show uh, because there's a business bent to it. And it was a little disappointing to see that I think his average rating, usually a good book's going to be 4.5 stars or higher, uh, right, on Audible or or Amazon. Don't look at Goodreads. Great books, 3.9, 3.8. So, but, so I still think it's a, it's a very fun, provocative read, especially if you don't read fiction. But again, that's another reason I cautious because again, we're going to be in different spaces or, or the context may be different uh, when we've read something and it just may not resonate for that other person. So I'm going to be a bit controversial here and say, what's your, and this isn't something I prep, so I'm going to really put you on the spot. So what's your thoughts on reading books versus audible books? You know, that is not a controversial question. I think I used the term earlier, reading uh, in the fringes of your time. And for people who know golf, uh, when I used to mow those greens around the greens, you got the... I've heard people call it the apron, uh, the fringe. So the fringes of our time were so busy, right? So I want to say about 2005 or six, I used to do a lot of running and then my knees are just so shot. And, and so I had to start, you know, I, I want to do some type of cardio. So I'd start walking, but it's like, man, this is boring. And then I somehow discovered audio books. And this is before the era of Audible. So I went to my local library. They had these books uh, on CD. And, I, and as I was walking, all of a sudden, my walking started turning into two miles, four miles, six miles. And I loved it. So even today, uh, I, I try to walk about an hour a day in the evenings and I'm I'm listening. There was a time period where I had to do a lot of driving in my consulting work. I was also on a plane a lot. So, boy, that what a great time to be uh, listening to a book. Now, you know, when you're in a plane, you can you know read the physical book, but when you're in a vehicle, you know it's great. You know, I can you know got my book turn you know coming through my stereo system, and and it's a great way to get through. You can get through about 40, 50 books a year. If you're listening, you know, an hour plus, I'm a weird, I'm, I'm bizarre. I'm weird. I like to go to the grocery store because our brains are thinking. So it's a way for my brain to just, I can just turn off the brain, but yet I can put in my earbuds, have my phone listening. So those minutes add up. So I would never say you, you ought to listen. I'm just saying, if you don't have time, just look at where you are. Now, people may not want to walk an hour a day. That's just given where I am physically. Uh, it's it's a great way. And plus, I can kill two birds with, with one stone. So I would just say, if you're driving a lot, 
you know, if you're, gosh, if you live in a city and you have to commute, uh, th- that's a good time to, you know, doing short, when I mow, I do a lot of mowing. I have, a, I have three farms, so I do some mowing uh, outdoors. That's even a time where I'm listening to books when I'm doing, you know, manual labor. So it's just a way for me to make the most out of my time. I'm, by the way, I'm not a productivity hack and, and I can't, I would never write a book about productivity, but I've just found that when, when I've got these times where I can't listen, I'll take advantage of it. But my mix, Hannah, is about half and half. I do about 120 books a year, about 60 are reading, about 50 to 60 are, are audio. And some books I do listen at 1.5 speed because with nonfiction, they tend to read a little bit slower so I can still turn up the speed. Now, I'm not speed read, speed listening. It's just that, okay, I can still comprehend. And about 1.5 is where I will listen to some books. If it's fiction, uh, like uh, I love John Steinbeck. I'm not going to listen to him at 1.5. I'm going to listen to him at either 0.9 or 1 <laughs> and, uh, and, and get the most out of that experience. But nonfiction, I can speed it up and not feel like I'm missing anything whatsoever. But that was a long answer. But I, and there's nothing controversial about it, uh, do what works for you in the margins or the fringes of your time. See, I found that fascinating. So I personally, I really struggle to compute, um, consume fiction, audio, via audio. I'm, I can listen to nonfiction, like learning all the time, but I, I love reading um not you know non-fiction uh, sorry reading fiction for me that's because I, I don't know whether it's the entertainment whether there's some and it could be on a kindle it doesn't have to be a physical book um but yeah no i've got a real push that but i i have a um i won't say it's a, a dirty little secret but i've also discovered these short forms where you can listen to book summaries as well and that is dangerous because it means that you know like the amount you can consume, um, and I'm, I'm half and half, right? I'm on the fence. I both do it and also then also read the book as well um, because I'm like, there's more in the book than they can give me in that sort of 15-minute summary. So love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, again, that's for, I, of course, because they're probably not a sponsor of the show, I won't say who they are. There's a, now I can't even remember the name. There was several years I had a subscription to, one of the services that uh, it's like seven or eight pages based on a book. And there would be times it, instead of reading a blog post, I'd do that. And I would typically read those book summaries for books I would not read anyway. I rarely would read them if I'd already read the book, or I would rarely read them if I intended to read the book. So it'd be titles that I'm not going to read it, but I've heard a lot about it. So again, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about book summaries. Uh, and, and again, I know there are audible or not audible, but audio samples of, of these book summaries. I've never done any of those, but hey, if it works, if it's a way for you to keep up with what people are talking about, if you don't want to read the full book, hey, it makes sense. I, I will say one thing that I do not like about book summaries for certain nonfiction. A lot of nonfiction books have many visual frameworks, lots of frameworks. I'll use a famous example. 
the balanced scorecard. I don't care what book summary you look at. There's not going to be a visual framework. It's all going to be mostly text. Now, if someone emails you in and say, no, there's, there's a book summary that has the visual, I will stand corrected. But some of these book summaries of nonfiction, there's no visuals. And I want to see those visuals because those visuals are sticky. Those, there's a reason why frameworks are typically <laughs> a simple visual that, oh, now I can remember it. So that's that's my only crit- criticism of book summaries, but I do I think they serve a purpose. Yeah, it, it's kind. Of, yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? So I think any kind of learning, whether it's short form or listen to the whole thing, is valuable, isn't it? You know, there's always degrees, and we are as a society somehow really short of time. You know, <laughs> we we everything is um is you know we're always trying to pack so much in. So I I do see it, but yeah. I can understand the picture piece. I, if I think about one of my, like one of the books I like to just pick up again, you know, the business modeling handbook, you know, where they, they have the map, the business model maps. Yes. That's, that's a book that I tried to read digitally, actually, let alone audio, you know, and it just doesn't work. You have to, right. you have to buy the book and flick through it and exactly. see the pictures. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Right. Brilliant. Oh, and. Um, so this has probably been, I think, almost my longest podcast ever, Mark, because it's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. So I am sure my listeners will not mind whatsoever that we've gone over um, because it's been so, so very interesting. I, I really want to, I just want to keep getting book recommendations from you, to be honest. So um, but thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts and, and your time with us today. And if, if our listeners are as um, interested by your book recommendations and want to find out more about your podcast um, and what you do, where is the best place to find you and to find your podcast? I would just go to cfobookshelf.com or wherever you listen to a podcast, just do a search for CFO Bookshelf and you will find it. You go to Google. It's kind of cool to type in CFO Bookshelf and you just see your name splat. Well, not my name, but the the name, <laughs> the title of the podcast splatter all over the next 10 pages. But but the the website itself, it's not the most beautiful website, but it's CFOBookshelf.com. And for those that are listening that would like um, that, that either can't find it or are feeling a little bit lazy sitting on that beach, I will pop a link in the show notes for anybody that wants to, to find you. So thank you again, Mark. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for all your wonderful recommendations. Um, my, my production team will have an absolute ball trying to find all of these books that we recommended and put the links in the show notes. So thank you to our listeners and thank you to Mark. Um, and yeah, if listeners, if you have any great um, reads and recommendations that we haven't mentioned, send them on through because, you know, I don't think there's any, there's never too many books to, to read. You know, we're always looking for great recommendations. Anna, thank you very, very much.